0: and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com.
1: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com. Hey, you're listening to Intuit from
2: Vulture. I'm Sam Sanders. Welcome to the show. This episode, we're going to talk about it's currently the biggest show on Netflix, that new Jeffrey Dahmer show. Ryan Murphy made it. It is called Dahmer. This show, it is a hit, but it's kind of problematic. We'll talk about who deserves to be centered in true crime shows like that one in just a bit. But first, a game with a very special, very funny guest, Jay Jordan. Hi, Jay. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Better now. Happy to have you on the show. I'm a big fan. I follow you on the socials. I see your comedy stuff. I like you. Thank you. I'm very busy,
3: much to the chagrin of my bosses and my husband. But yeah, I get I uh-huh. get
2: down on Twitter every now and then. Jay, you are, I mean, what's the best way to describe you? You're a comedian. You have been on The Tonight Show. You've had your own Comedy Central special. Oh yeah, I had a writer. Kind
3: of set. Oh, I'm a writer for the Problem with John Stewart. Yeah, I just uh, multi hyphenate, multi problematic.
2: <laughs> you are also a little thoughty on the social platform from time <laughs> to time, and I would say perhaps one of the most famous living bisexuals in America. Wow, wow, and and and
3: as a bisexual, uh-huh. I did not celebrate n- Bisexual Visibility Day. Because everyone else handled it for me. I I took the day to do like other bisexual stuff. And by that, I mean like pretend like I was gonna learn how to play the guitar. So that's, I mean, that's, that's what we'd like to do. When we think about the Steve Lacy's of the world, when you think about bisexuals, just know that what we like to do is say, wouldn't it be fun if every bisexual was just
2: a master of hypotheticals? I mean, but y'all, okay. Here's the part though that's not fair. Y'all get what—a day or a week? Which is it, Sam? If you know
3: anything about bias, you know we ain't gonna choose. We get a day, and then we also <laughs>
2: get a week. Okay, I brought you here to not uh, discuss the merits of bisexuality, but to instead play a game. Okay. That usually does have some queer bisexual energy, but this game doesn't want to be pinned down to any labels. Okay. It is called "Into it, Not Into it." The game is very simple. I share a headline from the Zeitgeist, and you tell me if you're into this thing or not into this thing, and why.:
3: The rules are very, very simple, and for that reason, yeah. I'm already
2: into this game. Although, because the rules are very, very simple, it is not at all bisexual.'. <laughs> No, I right? mean, no,
3: girl, a septum piercing <laughs> is a septum piercing. I
0: mean,
2: it's... <laughs> First question, are you into or not into Elon Musk, finally, after weeks, if not months of back and forth, buying Twitter? Not into it. Also,
3: not into okay evil blood emerald mind money. I'm not into... Someone whose dad had a baby with his stepdaughter. I'm not into, like, Grimes's current baby daddy ruining the world. Not into it at all.
2: Okay. It's been a saga for months now. Elon Musk said he wanted to buy Twitter, then seemed to pull out of the deal. Uh, for several reasons, based on who you ask. But... Twitter sued Elon Musk in July to force him to go through with the deal after he tried to back out over questions about bots on the platform. Um, This seems to be possibly a way for Elon to avoid a protracted court situation. He's agreed to the price that he had set in April for Twitter, which is $54.20 a share. On the one hand, part of me is totally into Elon having to honor this bargain that he set up, or this deal that he set up, rather. Uh, do what you said you're going to do. You know, the rules apply to even you, Mr. Musk. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure he makes Twitter worse, not better. Yeah. But on the other, other, other hand, okay. could Twitter actually get any worse? It can't get worse, can it, Jay? You're there all the time. Can it get worse? No,
3: it actively can't. I'm— I- When I tell you that it can't get worse, I mean, discourse can't get less nuanced. People can't share even more nudes on Circles while I'm at work, everyone, at 11 a.m. today. It can't get worse. It is already the hell. Hell is other people, and by that I mean other people's tweets. It
4: can't get worse.
2: <laughs> I will say I've managed to mostly avoid all the Twitter circles stuff no. because Same. the gays are thoughty on that.
3: Sam, they are more. It's I don't, I don't more than that. thoughty. Okay, as a self-professed thought, a thought picture. <laughs> listen, I listen. I'm about to be very respectability politics. Old black grandmother in church. We used to, to have some decorum. We used to just. We used to have a country. We used to. <laughs> it used to be a bulge pick that was the silhouette of certain fun parts of people. Wait, what's been. Okay, I want you to be. Make it plain for me because I'm going to be seeing the circle stuff. How graphic okay. does it get? Sam, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I'm just going to. Just people say
2: it. Just, are butt ass naked okay. on circles. I'm not going to say to any listeners who want to add me to circles, add me. Don't do that. <laughs>
3: I'll say it, this add is a Sam. family establishment. You know what, I can say no! it, add Sam.
4: Add <laughs> oh Sam, my God. add him on
3: Sundays between the hours of 9 and
2: 12. <laughs> not when I'm at church. Yes. I'm yes. Kidding. During I'm the kidding. devotional. All right. So we're not into Twitter. We're not into Elon, but we are into thoughty circles. I love it. Ooh. <laughs> all right. We know how you feel about all this. Good. Next question. Are you into or not into... A new documentary exposing the dark side of Barney.
5: Some of the rumors that I heard, Barney hides drugs
0: in his tail. They were violent and explosive. Yes,
2: Barney, the kid's show with the purple talking dinosaur. Apparently there was a dark side. Yes, I'm into it. I'm
3: into it because it's exposing the darkness around the people who had an irrational hatred of Barney. It's not exposing, it's not like Barney was touching BJ and Baby Bop. It's people. Lord, I hope not. No, I no no. I will not let that. No, not on my watch. <laughs> I'm into it. It's not like it's not like that horror take on Winnie the Pooh because it became public domain. It's not like that. It's that's a documentary. Great. I want that detail. <laughs> it's, it's a documentary detailing people kind of being evil and caustic towards Barney and people coming up with conspiracy theories about Barney. To me, that's. Funny and interesting and kind of like off center. Like I'm interested
2: in that. I am. I, here's my thing. My 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 larger gripe with this Barney documentary. I think the documentary industrial complex must be stopped. Oh. There are too many documentaries. There's more and more every day. Docu series, docu movie, docu this, docu that. There was a documentary on Von Dutch. Why? Not everything needs to be reexamined. This have some new ideas, Hollywood. I'm tired of it. You're making a good point. But Sam,
3: people are stripping the car for parts. I know, and it's sad. There's a reason why they're saying, oh, what if we did a behind the music of behind the music? (laughs) Like, that's where we (laughs) are now. I'm sure
2: they will do it at some point. (laughs) And you know what's sad? I'll probably not just watch that, but talk about it on this show. (laughs) All right, last question, last question, last question. Are you into or not into a new song from Saucy Santana and Trina urging people to vote? It is called No Voting, No Vucking, with a V. Not even lying to you, sir.
3: No voting, no loving. No No voting, no touching. I listened to it today. (laughs) No voting, no fucking, no voting, no fucking, no voting. Oh, my God. You Listen, between, I am. <laughs> between Saucy Santana and the baddest bitch from the 305, I say, whoop, whoop, pull over. I'm into it. I love it. <laughs> I like a fun little silly rap. I mean, even if, like, the carrot you're dangling for a potential voter is that, like, we can't have sex unless you vote, which the person should want to vote because it's your civic duty, you're part of the American Democratic experiment, but... If you may be getting some booty, help secure women's rights and gay rights and eventually some sort of world where people have access to health care, I'm down for it. If this is what we have to do, do it. Right. I'm into it. Face is a
2: I just, okay, here's my thing. There are two lines in this song that really stand out for me. The first being, from Trina, gerrymander this coochie. That's a nice little line she uttered. And the second from Saucy Santana, and this is just one for the ages. Want to hit this booty? Better do your civic duty. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But here's what's wild to me, Jay. Like... If the whole shtick of this song is like, we got to encourage black people to vote. Black people already vote a lot. And in
3: those six counties, the six counties that decided the last presidential election, when you talk about Milwaukee, when you talk about Atlanta, when you talk about Detroit, when you talk about Philadelphia... we are voting, but we also need some bops. So I hear what you're saying. <laughs> so you're into, it. and you are okay. you are preaching to the ass shaking choir here, Sam. Uh, I do have a question. <laughs> I have a question about the analogy. When you gentrify a coochie, I don't-
2: gerrymander, sir.
1: I don't gerrymander. Want- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, you a kid, a
3: <laughs> when you gerrymander a coochie, when you gerrymander a coochie, are you redrawing the lines of the coochie? Are you re? Are you redistributing the coochie? I, I just—it's. It, I'm really trying You're to get me this. canceled.
2: You're no, I'm I not. can't.
3: I have to see. <laughs> I have to see how these congressional lines are being drawn in this coochie postal code. Okay, so what middle if if my coochie has been redistricted, what middle school do I show up to to vote? If the coochie that I used to go to was the hospital, do you see
2: what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god. Where is th- <laughs> no one in my family can listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, I'm petty. You, if well, you're I, still here, I'm sorry, girl. Are we, we're not,
3: because I want the coochie to be drawn in such a way that it reflects the actual constituents of the district. That's just me. Okay? Oh,
2: my God.
3: Coochie equals county. Oh, if coochie equals county. I'm going to get my, let me get my whiteboard out. If coochie equals county. Oh, my God.
2: I don't care what anybody else says. You won this game. <laughs> you won this episode. You won this entire podcast feed. The soliloquy you delivered on gerrymandering the couche, which is which is one different for the ages. from gentrifying the couche
3: cuz people I've seen people do that too. Now, that's not what we're going to get
2: I into. The that's <laughs> the next time we have you on. We don't want to make the couche <laughs> J-
3: Uninhabitable. We don't want to make the coochie so expensive <coughs> that the people who grew up in the coochie can't even enjoy the coochie anymore. Oh my god. Well, if I you see you so a shake shack next to the coochie, <coughs> it's too late.
2: It's too late. Ah! I'm dead. Deceased. <laughs> in hell. In hell. I don't know. Jay he- Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you think Trina <laughs> had like a first draft of oh that? She was
3: like, nah, that ain't it. Let me see what I can come up with.
2: Redistrict the Couché? No no. no. no.
3: Filibuster the Couché? No, that sounds too sexual. Conference committee in the Couché? No. Gerrymander. <sighs> yeah, I like that. Gerrymander the Couché.
6: Okay.
3: Now we're going somewhere.
0: Because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course.
1: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team.
2: Most of you at this point have at least heard about this new Ryan Murphy show on Netflix. Dahmer. Monster. The Jeffrey Dahmer
6: story.
2: As soon as Dahmer debuted last month, it became Netflix's most watched show. And the company says Dahmer had one of the biggest launches in Netflix history ever. But in spite of its success, the critiques have come in swift and strong. For one, why tell this story again? And two, does this show really accomplish what Ryan Murphy said it would? Some backstory. The majority of Dahmer's victims were queer men of color. And there were a lot of them. Dahmer killed 17 people between the years of 1978 and 1991. And the thinking is, the reason Dahmer got away with it for so long is because law enforcement in America rarely cares about those types of victims the way it cares for, say, white women. But Murphy said, this show will be different. We'll center the victims. We'll talk about all these inequities that exist and the way crimes like these are handled. And this show tries, in some moments, to do just that.
3: You purposefully moved into an apartment in the Black community, to an area that was under patrolled and underserved. And you knew that, isn't that right? Easier to get away with things there, easier to
2: hunt. But those victims' stories, they maybe weren't centered enough. Critics are saying that. Families of the victims are saying that. Having watched some of the series myself, I'm saying that too. I want to talk about what responsibilities a true crime series like Dahmer actually has to viewers like me, to the real people affected by these crimes, to marginalized communities, to the genre of true crime itself. And I could think of no better person to have that chat with than Jen Cheney. Jen's a TV critic at Vulture, and she's written about all of this and more on the site. Jen Cheney, hello. How are you?
7: I'm good, Sam. How are you?
2: Great. Better now that you're here. How much of this new Dahmer show have you watched? All of it. All oh, of it. Thoughts and prayers. Thank Thoughts you. and prayers. I took one for the it's team on this. Heavy. You really did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I suppose then, knowing that you watched the whole thing, I do want to talk about the central question facing this series since its launch. And that is. Who is it actually centering? Is it centering Jeffrey Dahmer, who is played by Evan Peters, uh, who has played evil villains in many Ryan Murphy shows? Or is it, as Ryan Murphy said it would, centering the mostly queer victims of color who died at Jeffrey Dahmer's hands?
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Who's right? Who's actually being centered?
7: I mean, I think ultimately, even if you do like a mathematical equation, you would come out that Jeffrey Dahmer is being centered more often in these episodes. Hmm. But there's an episode that is focused on Tony Hughes, one of his victims who... Episode six. Yes, who was deaf. And they really do try to shoot that episode more from his point of view, even to the point of like having the audio drop out. So you're sort of seeing the world and and not hearing the world in the same way that he would have. And that to me was the best episode of the whole series because I felt like Mm. that was an example of actually, you are doing what you said you were going to do here to some extent.
4: He's a good boy, a good son. Life's always been hard for him.
7: The whole first 15 minutes of that episode is just about Tony and his life. And he doesn't even meet Dahmer for the first 15 minutes. And so I felt like that was the one episode that was really kind of living up to the promise that they had made.
2: Yeah. And we should point out that that episode was written by Janet Mock, a black trans woman who has been working Mm -hmm. with Murphy for some time now.
7: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And they do it. You know, there's an episode that's a little more centered on Nisi Nash's character, who's the neighbor who is, again, constantly telling the police to do something about this guy.
3: I knew you was up to something, Jeff Dahmer. And I called y'all. And I told you over and over a million times that something was going on. And you know
2: what you did? Y'all did nothing. Nothing.
7: And they also, uh, they do center his father a little bit.
2: When you said on the phone, there was a murder investigation. I thought someone might have tried to murder him.
7: But it's very much Jeffrey's show. I mean, it says Dahmer twice in the title.
2: Dahmer, the Dahmer story yes. about Jeffrey Dahmer.
7: P.S., this is a Dahmer show.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I think of what would have made this show better or what would have helped Dahmer avoid some of these pitfalls in representation, I also wonder if Ryan Murphy is up to that job. Like, I've watched his stuff forever, and I like some of it, His, but his whole shtick from nip-tuck to now, has kind of been glorifying pretty white men and the nasty things they do. Like Mm -hmm. Ryan Murphy gonna Ryan Murphy, even with the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Could Ryan Murphy ever actually make the best version of this show and this story?
7: Well, I will say that one of the reasons I think we're here having this conversation about these kinds of shows is because of another show that he made several years ago, which was uh, American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. And that was a show yeah. where I was like, I don't need to see this. <laughs> like, I know this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it surprised me how how huh. good it was and how it allowed us to like go back and look at how uh, different people were treated during that whole saga and kind of see it in a new light. And I think it was so, so good in that regard and also just so successful with Emmys and viewership, et cetera, that... He's continued to do this, to revisit true stories and try to dramatize them. And I got to think that Ryan Murphy's a little, like, overstretched. He makes so many shows that I think when you're doing that many shows, it's hard to do any of them consistently well.
2: So moving away from this Dahmer series and what it gets right or wrong, are there other true crime shows scripted or otherwise that do better on these kind of issues of visibility and who is centered. What shows do this right?
7: Well, one that immediately comes to mind, um, it's a show called Unbelievable. Hmm. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was on Netflix. It came out in 2019. And its it looks at a series of rape cases based on hmm. actual cases. But it casts uh, Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver as the detectives. And I love
2: Merit Weaver. I mean I love show, both of them. Yeah, yeah. No.
7: I mean tremendous casting. Yeah. They just take a completely different approach to talking to somebody after they've been, you know, raped and traumatized. And that show is terrific just at show at at illustrating how often women are disbelieved in these kinds of situations. So that one is great. Another one um and this is actually a documentary but it sort of has the structure of a drama, uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark,
4: hmm. which
7: was on HBO, based on Michelle McNamara's book. And she was Patton Oswalt's wife, and she passed away while she was working on this book about the Golden State Killer. And hmm. so the show like tracks what happened to Michelle. It tracks what happened with this Golden State Killer investigation. And ultimately, the work she did in that book helped to finally apprehend that guy after decades. Oh, wow.
2: Oh, wow.
7: But she was under so much pressure writing the book that she was taking medications and mixing medications, and she died. Oh my goodness. So it's like these two things on parallel tracks, but then it's also interrogating what happens to your brain when you get immersed in true crime.
2: Yeah. You know, there has been discourse around this Dahmer series since it came out. Mm -hmm. Family members of some of Dahmer's victims have spoken out against the show and have complained about not being contacted as this show was being created. Most of the reviews acknowledge the central problem that you and I are talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, if you had to give some mandates out to creators making true crime content, are there, like, I don't know, three golden rules you would give them?
7: (laughs) I mean, I I would say one golden rule is, like, at every turn, like, do we need to show this? Do we need Mm -hmm. to do this? There's a whole sequence in Dahmer where they show people giving their impact statements about how you know, what he did affected them. And there's the sister of a victim who just goes crazy and starts yelling at him. And it's, Mm -hmm. and and you've probably seen it posted like side by side of the actual video from when it happened. And to me, that's like, now we're cosplaying reality. Uh, The woman's name is Rita Isbell. That's the real woman who was portrayed in the show.
2: And she's complained about this show herself since it came out.
7: She has. She was. She's one of the people who said, like, I didn't know this was going on. Nobody cleared this with me. And next thing you know, I'm like, kind of a meme.
6: <laughs> yeah. Think about what you're doing.
7: Yeah. Don't, like, recreate things shot for shot. And then acknowledge the impact that true crime has in some way. Try to, like, really think through that very carefully. Um, there's some hand-waving in that direction with Dahmer. Like, mm-hmm. there's a point where Tony Hughes's mother is suing the Dahmers because... Dahmer's dad wrote a book and, and this lawyer is like, you know, all the victim's family should be getting any profits from movie rights and book rights and so on. And so there's this idea presented that it's sort of ghoulish to do this, but it doesn't acknowledge that the show is doing it, too.
2: Mm, I would say stop making the killers hot. It's weird.
7: Stop making the killers hot. Well, weird. the problem is, OK, so th- one of the like Ted Bundy was like a decent looking guy. So it's like, but you don't have to make him Zac Efron either.
2: There you go. I think these (laughs) shows, and I think Ryan Murphy especially, they do this thing where they introduce someone who is supposed to be a villain, who is supposed to be the bad guy, but then they confuse you by not just letting them be beautiful, but focusing on them visually in the show in ways that kind of highlight their beauty. It's off. And I think I would there would be fewer TikToks of young people confessing their love to Jeffrey Dahmer if he wasn't made to be sexy in some of the scenes in this show.
7: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to have his shirt off quite as often as he does uh, in the show. Another thing, here's another rule. I don't know if this is three or four, but as we're talking, there's another Jeffrey Dahmer documentary that's going to drop on netflix
2: please no please i'm serious
7: and it's very similar to when you know that zach Efron movie about ted bundy came out like a couple years ago on netflix and then Mm -hmm. they also dropped a ted bundy documentary like in close proximity i think netflix and, and any other platform needs to not do that
2: all of this raises a larger point and that is it feels like true crime is everywhere these days Are we in a moment of peak true crime, Jen? Or like, has this stuff always been there? Like going back to Unsolved Mysteries days?
7: Yeah. I mean, this stuff has always been there to some extent. Like, as I was thinking about Dahmer and thinking about coming on here to talk to you, I was remembering this mini-series from like way back in the 80s called Fatal Vision, which was based on the book about this military veteran who allegedly killed his whole family. He claimed (sighs) he was innocent. And that was decades ago. So it's, there's always been some element of this. Yeah, I mean, eight years ago, I think this trend was really kicked off with the success of the podcast Serial, the success of The Jinx, and the success of Making a Murderer. All of those, those shows and podcasts happened in really close succession. And I think that really kicked off this wave of true crime, and it has never ebbed at all.
2: I had forgotten about Making a Murderer. That was a moment. That was a yeah. moment.
7: I honestly thought before Dahmer... Dropped and started to be really watched. I thought this is going to be the tipping point. This is going to be the tipping point. People are going to be like, I'm not, this is too much. And I was dead wrong because <laughs> the limit does not exist. The limit does not exist. Yeah.
2: Why is that the case? Is there, I mean, like in some way, it has to go back to money. Like, is it cheaper to make than other stuff? Is there an IP situation going on? Like, what is the business thing behind this?
7: Right. Well, I think some true crime, like certainly the documentaries, those are not as expensive to produce as like. A scripted series might be. But you mentioned IP, which is something I've been thinking about a lot, and I may be writing a piece about this. You know, when we think about studios and platforms kind of using, relying on their IP, we think of Star Wars, we think of Marvel, we think of franchises that they just keep building more stuff around. And the reason is, they don't have to explain to you who Spider-Man is. You already know. So like that part of the promotion marketing awareness is already done for you. Serial killers are IP. You put Jeffrey Dunn... I know, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing, but it's true. Yeah, People know who Jeffrey Dahmer is. and That's true. And the fact that they did no promotion, they did not give critics uh, screeners in advance. It was like there was a trailer two days later, it was on Netflix. And if you turn on Netflix and you see Dahmer on your home screen, you're like, oh, I, I remember that case. You know what
2: it is. So then as just a viewer of things, how do I leave this chat feeling in any way optimistic about the state of the stuff that we've talked about?
7: Um, I'm going to say you don't. You leave feeling pretty (sighs) shitty about it.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
7: I mean, unless, again, like, I feel like there are good ways to do this. I feel like there are creators who can do it with some sensitivity, but I don't think we need the marketplace to be flooded. And unfortunately, if people keep watching this stuff, Hollywood is going to keep flooding the marketplace with it.
2: I think Jen, what I find myself saying at the end of this conversation, it's the same thing I say about all TV and movies right now. Enough recycling old ideas. Have new ideas. Have new ideas. And the new idea can be a new take on an old subject, but it needs to feel new. Yeah. Also, no more hot serial killers. I'm just no talking hot of serial killers. No more hot serial killers. Can we agree on that? No more.
7: I agree with you. And also, that they can keep their shirts on. I feel like it's okay. They
2: can keep their shirts on. All right. There, there you have it, listeners. Ryan Murphy, take a break with the hot killers.
7: All right. We solved it. We did.
2: Jen, <laughs> thank you so much for this chat. Uh, even if you don't watch the show, Dahmer, be sure, listeners, to check out Jen's review of the show on the Vulture website right now.
7: Thank you, Sam.
2: Culturegeist, you're listening to Culturegeist. Culturegeist, I don't know
6: y'all. And now to a segment we're calling Culturegeist. Culture Geist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. <laughs>
4: My name's Rebecca, and what's haunting me this week is a big group of preteen Jewish boys in the year 2007. I'm talking about Miami Boys Choir and their new TikTok hit breakout single, Yerushalayim, parentheses, live version. And it highlights these boys in this modern Orthodox choir singing this Hebrew banger. I don't know. This is my... This is my BTS. This is my boy band. This is my One Direction now. And I'll break down the four main boys who have gone viral in the TikTok video. Again, they're all like real adults now and they're kind of like enjoying the fame. So it's not problematic, whatever, whatever. They're like grownups. One of them's a doctor now. So there's Yoshi Bender. He starts it off. He's like the leader of the group. There's C. Abramowitz, who to me, I'm like, oh, he's the mysterious one. There's David Herskowitz, and when he comes in, that's sort of where the beat drops. That's the one that I think is a lot of people's favorite on TikTok. He is the Harry Styles of the group. And then there's Binyamin, who picks up from him, and he's kind of like the baby of the group. There's just something so, I think, funny and surprising and weird about the fact that I'm like talking about these kids and their stats as if they weren't a bunch of, you know, Orthodox boys in a choir in the year 2007. But that's sort of the fun of this whole thing. People are making up dances, people are doing fan art. And yeah, I recommend going down uh, the deep end with Miami Boys Choir. It is the song of fall, hashtag Team Binyumi.
5: I'm Eric willis and I'm an editor at Vulture. The thing that's haunting me now is actually a song that really snuck up on me recently. You see, like a lot of young men who grew up in the 90s, I love this rock band, Pavement, more than anything. I never got the chance to see them when they did their first reunion tour a decade ago, but now, fast forward 12 years, I went on my own, and they totally ruled. They played almost two hours, and I heard every song I could have hoped for. Darling,
6: don't you go and cut your
5: so for two hours, I was back in college. I was dancing and loving the music in this really carefree way for the first time in a long time. But the last song that they played was a real surprise. They covered this tune by uh, Jim Pepper called Witchy Tie Tu. Jim Pepper was a Native American jazz musician who adapted the song from a peyote song that his grandpa would sing. And it goes, I'm going to sing it for a little bit. Witchy tie to give me raw, horaniko, horaniko. Water spirit feeling springing round my head makes me feel glad that I'm not dead. Now, I had never heard it before, but this song is gorgeous. It's rhythmic and hypnotic and like ethereally haunting. Pavement closed with it, and when Stephen Malkmus sang the lines, makes me feel glad that I'm not dead, it made me feel the exact same way. And I connected it to this feeling that I had when I loved music in this very intense, very youthful way when I was just growing up. That's what's haunting me this week. Hi,
4: Sam. This is Katie in
6: L.A., my culture guys, that has been haunting me since 2009 is the song According to You by Orianthi.
4: According to
6: you. I was introduced to the song through a Bible study run by a friend's mom out of their house. Fast forward 10 years later, the song comes on a playlist that I'm listening to with my best friend, and she makes the comment Oh, this is such a jam. Shame they never made any more music. And I, thinking I'm making a joke that makes total sense, say, Oh, God was like, that's enough. And she gives me the funniest look. And I said, You know, because they're a Christian rock band. She said, No, they're not. I was like, Yeah, they are. You know, according to him, capital H I M. She's like, That's not what the song is about. And I still think about that conversation almost five years later now. I always wonder if I was the only person who ever thought that or if our Bible study totally off the books used that song unauthorized. Thanks, Sam.
1: Bye.
2: Thanks again to Katie, Eric, and Rebecca. My culture, guys, this week is a clip I saw on TikTok from Chris Cuomo's podcast. Yes, Chris Cuomo has a podcast. Anywho, in this clip, he's interviewing Whoopi Goldberg, and he asks her if she would make her own political party. And then she goes on to talk about why she would name it the Shrimp Party. You like shrimp? Well, I like the shrimp party. Because I like the idea of many shrimps partying in the ocean. But that might not be what you like. It's one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life, what you just said. Yes. You like the idea of shrimps partying in the ocean? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's some crazy stuff. It makes me feel like the last time I, I got the dosage wrong on my THC. It was weird. Listeners, do you have a culture, Geist, a thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years in a good way or a bad way? Share it with us. The more specific you are, the better. Send a short voice memo to Intuit at Vulture Intuit at Vulture All right. Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Jelani Carter, Travis Larchuk, and Gabi Grossman. We had editing this week from our fearless leader, Jordana Hochman and Jolie Myers. Our engineer is Daniel Turek, and our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, who honestly should be hired to compose the music for everything. And Hannah Rosen is the editorial director of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Till then, try not to fall in love with any serial killers. All right, bye.